everybody back to the Enneagram Journey podcast with Suzanne Stabile. We're continuing our series on the Enneagram Daily Reflections, which you might know by now, Suzanne was a series editor for. Today's guest is Enneagram 4, Christine Yisu. And Christine is awesome. This is my first time to get to listen to her and talk with her, and I think y'all are going to really like it. Christine is a writer, spiritual director, and a pastor. She served as pastor of spiritual formation and as the assistant director of spiritual formation and care at Pepperdine University. She's a regular contributor to the Missio Alliance and the Nine Beats Collective. She and her spouse David live with their two children outside of Los Angeles. I know that after you listen to this, you're going to want to get your hands on a copy of 40 Days on Being a Four, and you can find it at the LTM website, Amazon, and IVPress.com, and probably a bunch of other places as well. Plug time. Live events are back in Dallas. First weekend of August, Breaking the Cycle with Joe, Suzanne, and Russ Hudson. Uh, then you can also find Relationships in the Enneagram with Suzanne in Pennsylvania, as well as Little Rock. And a workshop that I'm very excited about, Enneagram Stances with Suzanne in Tennessee. You can find all of these events at lifeinthetrinityministry.com backslash events. Uh, sign up, get more information, register, and we will see you there. Also, one of the things that's been really great over the past few months, our new subscription service, The Table. It's online digital content, including the Fruits of the Spirit workshop with Joe and Suzanne, uh, relationships through the pandemic, which was eight hours of just conversational interviews with Joe, Suzanne, and friends and guests, and that was really incredible. We've also got Yoga and the Anagram from Courtney Perry, a mindfulness meditation series that continues with Reverend Dr. Andy Stoker, Enneagram teaching from Suzanne, Hunter Mobley, and Joey and Billy Shuey, and some fantastic spirituality and spiritual practices teaching with the Reverend. So there's more to come. Check it out. Sign up today at lifeinthetrinityministry.com backslash the table. And now, Suzanne and Christine. the absolute truth i just think you are uniquely equipped to speak into a time that needs your voice because it's young and because you're korean american and because you are a four so you're not changing up the story you're saying yeah this is this is it yeah. Thank you, Suzanne. I w- I, it feels like we've known each other longer than we actually have. No. And so, <laughs> That's how I feel too. <laughs> right. I think the pandemic elongated this like sense of time that yeah. has been spent over very few um, communication, you know, via email and also our Zoom call earlier on. But I'm just grateful for the collaboration in, in the book and have my coffee in front of me. <laughs> so many. Why do you have two of them? Because. It's you. Thank you. So Joel um, is going to really enjoy getting to know you, I know, and you, him. As a four and a seven, you two have kind of, I'm beginning to think, a total range of possible responses Hmm. for people to learn. That's a new thing I've been thinking about. Mm -hmm. But if fours and sevens look alike as children, which they do, and then they are so different and yet in some ways so much the same as adults. Hmm. I started wondering if 
the range of responses lies between the two of you to outside stimulus between those two numbers. And if that's true, then people can learn to balance themselves Mm. somewhere in all of that by reading fours and sevens, knowing fours and sevens, listening to fours and sevens, all that. That's so intriguing. I feel like I need to know more what you mean by that. Well, I need to know more too, because it's a new thought for me, Mm. but I think somewhere between preteen and twenties, fours and sevens begin to differentiate from one another and lean toward a response that is ultimately somewhat defining of their number. Mm. And so Joel gets energy from what's positive, but fours get energy from what's tragic. And I think, (laughs) well, it's okay. (laughs) There's a lot of tragedy out there. Don't worry. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) And, and so there's a range then between tragic and wonder. Yes. And I think that could be the range where people fall. And so if I'm right and it works, then this is the last thing I'll say about my new idea. And then we'll talk about you. This is the Enneagram journey where we workshop ideas. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm ready to workshop. <laughs> what I'm wondering is in a culture where grieving is so difficult mm. and dangerous to not grieve. Yes. If there's a teaching range between the way the two of you respond to both joy and sadness Mm. that would give people a place to kind of relate to and maybe step into that process because I think people don't know how to undo themselves enough to be present to and grieve all that needs to be grieved. So that's, that's what my notes say. That's all I got. So we're done talking about me and my new thoughts. I want to go into it. All. Can I just quickly say yes. I in my, um, whether it is, you know, a, being drawn to tragedy or, <laughs> or um, the spiral of like the dark cave, <laughs> which is what I call my, my own way of grappling with, um, especially this year of so much loss and, um, and pain and suffering. Um, you know, I wrote in, in the book that chapter seeking beauty. So I think from an early age, um, when my parents were experiencing, you know, really difficult things in their marriage and with my dad's struggle with alcoholism and just this constant, unstable family environment, the way out for me was seeking beauty and seeking joy in areas that I couldn't find necessarily in my home. And so I, um, that portal that you're talking about right now between how Joel, by the way, hi, Joel, it's nice to meet you (laughs) for the first time. Um, That portal, I feel like I I see what you're saying and I'm interested, you know, as you continue to um, unpack that, I want to, I'd love to dialogue further with you, how that, how that plays out for fours um, and in your sevenness, how you move toward, how, how you, you know, grapple with grief and make sense of it when your um, disposition is towards more more joy and positivity. Yeah. I think it's for any seven easy to just 
reframe grief. Like no matter how much work a seven does, that is always going to be a, a trick that's in the bag. And so it's just leaving that in the bag and just staying with, you know, this is sad. We're sad. Mm-hmm. I miss someone. I miss the way things used to be, whatever it is that has changed and uh, staying with it, I guess, as long as is necessary. Yeah, absolutely. Ah. And I think even just um, the nuances of culture, you know, incurring culture when someone passes away, there's like a, you have three days, like full days of grieving and um, sometimes even further in um further back, I'm researching more how Koreans grieve, like our ancestors have, have grieved. And um, it's for long periods of time. And, and I think um, more in Western culture, it is like, let's move forward. Like we're strong, we've got this, you know? And so I'm, I'm trying to return also to my ancestral roots and saying the grief is real and present. And there's always just so much we can learn, I think, from uh, different ways that different people groups um, experience grief and, um, and, and, and move towards the joy while keeping that authentic grief still present, you know, the both and the holding, yeah. holding both grief and joy um, together. And now one talks about that a lot and it brings me a lot of solace, the morning and dancing. I think my grief ancestry is Irish wake style. <laughs> I think I need to read up on what that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's celebrate the guy we just lost. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. And speak, speaking of looking up at, on, on grief and uh, the way different cultures do it, I don't remember what it was, if it was the uh, workshop from past, last summer where we were talking about doing another movie event here at the Micah mm-hmm. Center, and we were going to do um, This Is Where I Leave You. So I went for to prepare. I was like, all right, let's give this. We can't show that at the Micah Center as it turns out. So... <laughs> So people that were like, when are we going to have that movie event? Unless I can find, you know, the, the ABC edit of, of this mm-hmm. is where I leave you. Unfortunately, we can't do that. But they, I, I might not say the word right. They, this family sat Shiva Shiva for mm-hmm. six days or seven days or something. And, uh, but I thought that was interesting too. And, you know, hearing you talk about this. And I think one of the things that's kind of, you know, I've been saying for a few years now, since I kind of latched on to grieving is something we don't know how to do. I've been saying that I think churches, every denomination, have done a terrible job of teaching us how to grieve. Mm -hmm. And I said that not too long ago, and a pastor came up to me and said, I don't know how we can teach you something we don't know how to do. Mm. Which means, I think, that it is an open door for cultural difference, because there are cultures that do know how to grieve, who can share a model with us in the West Mm -hmm. so that we have a place to start. And then there's a foundation to build on. I have a lot of concern coming out of COVID about what has been grieved and what hasn't and the desire people have to move forward so quickly and a lot going on with that. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's um, talk for a while about, you and your contribution to the daily reflection series and the world. And I'm very 
um, enamored with your joy as a four. You've got a lot of it. Mm -hmm. And you don't, if somebody met you and encountered you, and you're definitely a four, but you have all this joy. Mm -hmm. And if somebody encountered you and encountered that, I wondered, what would they think? And I think people would think, well, she must have had a great childhood. Mm. But you didn't. Like you had a very complicated childhood. It wasn't bad, but it was very complicated. Yes, right. Um, no, yeah, the, the seven, I feel like I have, <laughs> Joel, I have this like sevenness about my fourness that is not necessarily experienced by my four friends necessarily. Um, I may come off as though I'm um, like even the label of enthusiastic, enthusiast, enthusiast, um, <laughs> people have said, you're so enthusiastic or you're so positive or you're so joyful. And I do feel that way. I feel like my natural disposition is, um, I enjoy making people feel, um, safe and cared for like in my presence. I think that it's just probably from when I was a child feeling as though I had to do that for my parents because they were both going through so much. So it, I, I write about this in the book, like, kind of like a coping mechanism, I think was showing up in more of like a positive way, but I, it's, it's so authentic to who I am. So it's hard to even describe, like kind of zoom out and look at myself and say, why, why are you so positive? Why are you so happy all the time? Um, but in reality, inside of me, if I slow down enough and sit in the stillness, there is a lot of complicated emotion taking place real time all the time. So yeah. And I write this in the book that if someone were to ask me, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And then I always go, uh, (laughs) um, I'm, I'm fine. I mean, I learned over the years, like a, a quote unquote, normal response. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm great. How are you? <laughs> you know, but if we were to sit down and if you were genuinely asking me, I would say, Oh, I just need a moment. Actually, let me just, um, hear what's happening inside, um, and say, Oh, these things took place this week. And I think I'm doing okay. Like, I feel like usually I, I say I'm doing okay. There's a lot going on. <laughs> is my like real response. Unless like we're at the store and someone, a stranger is asking me like, how's your day? I'm like, I'm great. How are you doing today? <laughs> but oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think, um, that's why contemplative practice has been really important for me. Um, I can be very outward facing in my longing to belong. And I think that's part of where some of that, that happiness and that joy shows up where I'm saying like, how can I, how can I assist you in your joy? How can I make you feel good about your life? You know, how can I make you feel safe and, 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 and comforted? Um, but I also need to zoom in so that I have that, um, internal space to hear that inner voice and pay attention to my interior life so that I can know how I am actually doing, um, and, and live from that kind of authentic space and place. Is this making sense? Absolutely. Great sense. <laughs> if you were to answer, if if you said to somebody, somebody says, "How are you doing?" and you say, "I'm doing well." There's a lot going on. And if somebody took the time, and you felt safe to say to you, "Oh, what's going on?" 
do you have a way of filtering through all the the emotions that a four is feeling at any moment so that it just, it's constant? Do you have Mm -hmm. a way that you know how to choose one or which thing to grab? It, It is exactly that. It's just choosing one. I, I have like a baseline of reality that at any given point, not everyone is able to hold the kind of kaleidoscope, that complexity of all the different things that are going on within me. So I typically choose one or two and I offer it to the individual. And I always used to wrestle with that, you know, in my more formative years, because fours want to be authentic. So before that, it was like, you know, emotional vomit, you know, like this is all that's happening in my life and da, 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 and this is me being authentic with you. But it, it's always been quote unquote, like too much for people. And then that internalizes a sense of unworthiness, a sense of, a sense of uh, unbelonging and, you know, um, worthlessness. And so I've moved away from that longing to belong um, outwardly to more for like um, me to belong to myself first and then choosing what people can quote unquote handle. And it's, it's, I'm saying it in a negative way, but I wish I had a more positive way to describe it. I just, throughout my life, I've just felt people are overwhelmed by my emotional capacity. And so I move away from giving all of myself in that way. Um, Because part of it is a longing to be totally and fully understood um, and a longing to be authentic with people. And now I'm just trying to say, no, I can be understood just simply as I am before God, before myself, and with a few trusted people in my life that know me fully and wholly and love me in that way. But not everyone needs to access me in the fullness of who I am. And that is good and appropriate. (laughs) And yes, and it does not make me more fractured. It makes me whole to function in that way rather than kind of exploding on everyone. Like, Oh, can you see all of this? Can you see all of this? And then do you like it? <laughs> you know? So it's, it's more me for myself, um, belonging to myself, understanding myself, and then feeling that sense of peace and consolation, um, and strength and worthiness from a deep place. Yeah. That, that, that genuine place that anchors who I am rather than out an outwardness. Yeah. I haven't talked I don't think to a single four on the planet who doesn't feel like they are both too much and not enough at the same time. Yes. Those, those two realities are so, they feel so juxtaposed, but it's like that, that reality is so real for all of my four friends and myself. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting that you started where you did because I started on page 47 of the book, which you know, if they, people already have it, they can turn right there. And if they don't, they can get it several places. Mm-hmm. And um, the title is A Calling. And I want to start there because you say that you were struggling with opinions and expectations of you from others. And then you also say, as you just did eloquently, that you want to be true to yourself. But all that leads then to you saying about responding to a question when somebody asks you, what do you want to do with this <laughs> education? And you, you thought, I want to be a pastor, but there wasn't a path for that. Mm-mm. I want to try to understand, and I want 
listeners to have an opportunity to understand what the difference is or where the line is or where the boundary is between self-awareness mm-hmm. and self-indulgence. Because fours, once they, in my experience, many fours, once they become more self-aware, their desires are then labeled by other people if lived out as self-indulgent. And so I don't know how to teach, and so I'm trying to learn where that line is where you're aware of what you want and what you'd like and what you think you're put here to do. And you, you titled it a calling, meaning that that came from outside of you. It's not like you were just hanging out somewhere one day and thought, Oh, I think I want to be that. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't modeled for you because in your arena of life growing up, there weren't women pastors. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't calling to you. So it had to be this place you're talking about that's inside of you Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that you were responding to. And it seems to me that every four who commits to a spiritual journey toward transformation comes to the point where they have to figure out the difference between Mm self-awareness and self-indulgence. And if that rings true as something that you feel like you'd like to talk about. I'd love to hear it. Can I, can I ask you to uh, define self-indulgence just so that I know exactly what you mean? I think from what I've learned in here at the Micah center and from reading you and from other significant people in my life who are Korean American, one of the things that I believe that is available to me to take and work with is that self-indulgence is just not appropriate in your culture. It's not culturally appropriate for you to be self-indulgent, for you to get to have whatever feelings you have, whenever you want to have them, for you get to pursue whatever um, vocation you want, because you, it seems that there are these stops that are cultural that say that you can't do that. In the West, when people are not in the West, because we're both in the West, I'm trying to learn and learn and learn how to say things correctly and in the way that I mean them. So I'm adopted. So I don't know what my background is. Like when I read you, I wanted to be Korean. (laughs) But I live with Joe and I kind of want to be Italian and Joel wants a wake. So I guess I need to be Scotch Irish. So I don't know. I don't know what to do. But (laughs) for those of us who have grown up and not immigrated to another country here in the United States, there's a tendency for people who have a deep range of emotion to indulge that. Mm to the point that it becomes a disconnect rather than a way to connect. Mm. Or there is, along with some self-indulgence, I get to do this if I want to. And 
it, I'm not affecting anybody but me, you know, which of course isn't true. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of thing. It's, it's taking more than you need for you, which leaves less mm-hmm. for others. But self-awareness, if you follow it, names for you perhaps the deepest call in the deepest part of you from the greatest being, right? Does that help? Yes, that's so helpful. Thank you, Suzanne. Sure. Um, Yeah, because I come from a collectivistic culture, I did not feel like you were describing that I had a path to carve out for myself. And um, I grew up in the Korean immigrant church and that was mostly uh, functioning from a reformed theology. And so um, we had more Calvinistic roots where women um, were not allowed to preach or teach or pastor um, over men. And so to me, it was never even an issue. I just lived my life like that kind of in bliss, like ignorance, you know, and just saying, okay, this is how God ordained life. Like men are kind of the leaders, women have to follow them. Um, and then over time I would just have these, these, uh, disruptive emotions within when I would say, Oh, I just, it's not fair, you know? And, and, but all of that took a lot for me, a lot of courage and self-awareness to come to those kinds of conclusions Mm -hmm. prior to that. It was just kind of going along with the mold. This is what we do at church. This is what we do in the house. This is what we, you know, but in my house, you know, we would try to preserve my dad's image as the head of the house, just coming from kind of a more Confucian um, and patriarchal culture. And also our church, which was a Korean church, same like Confucian, patriarchal and theological, ideological frameworks that were being um, upheld. And so um, even though, you know, my dad was going through so much and, you know, he's, he's really one of my heroes because he's endured so much and persevered and overcome so much from his own childhood into who he is today. Um, but we would try to, we would always try to talk about the image rather than um, actually name the realities that were taking place in our household, which was my mom is like running everything because my dad was going through so much with um, kind of the addiction and alcoholism and um, kind of trauma that was coming up um, in his adult you know, years as a father. Uh, and for me, it was just always like that, like, okay, we have to protect the men. And then the women just, we, we do, we get it all done, you know? And so that, that kind of framework took place in, at church too, in different ways, but I didn't have language to say, is there another narrative that's possible for women? Like, could I possibly lead? Could I possibly you know, pursue ministry. And, um, those were already passions that were developing within me, but I thought to myself, I guess I'll figure it out as I go. <laughs> you know, so I and we went to seminary, everyone at church is saying like, why would you, what, what are you going to do there? Like no one, you're a woman, like what's okay. You know, there's not really a path for you. And like I wrote in the book, I, if I had language for it, I would have said, Oh, I want to be a pastor but I didn't have language for it. I just said, I just know this is the next thing I need to do. This is what I believe God is like opening the door for me to step into. And, um, I got to seminary, um, learned so much and grew so much, saw women preaching and pastoring and teaching. And I would always have this dissonance to say, I really support what they're doing, but I know it's not allowed for me. Like I'm, I know this is like the route that I'm supposed to go, which is 
support the men. <laughs> so I just didn't have the language or kind of the social consciousness to say, oh, these, these systems can be dismantled. You don't have to live like this. You don't have to live secondary to men. You can live a, a life that's free of these uh, narratives and free. And I think that's where my foreness was being stifled in many ways in these environments. I thought, you know, being a more functioning as a two was the way to thrive in these environments and to kind of even achieve success. It's like, oh, I'm going to take care of the children's ministry, or I'm going to hang out with the youth kids, or this is how I'm going to serve, like get, get copies done for the pastor. Like, this is what I do to get success in the church or mm -hmm. to shine in my foreness, I guess is a better way to describe it, to be special. Um, when in reality, I, I was truly a four and just misplaced myself as a two um, because of the environments that I grew up in. And that's why I talk about that a lot in the book, because I think a lot of Asian women are in contexts where we um, are uh, patted on the back and um, we're encouraged for the ways we're showing up in Tunis. And um, twos are amazing. I um, have deep respect for twos. Uh, but when you're every, everything is saying you must be a two, it doesn't create a path for others to find their own voice, their own strength, their own um, purpose and their own calling, however you want to describe it, whether it's that internal draw or an external thing. But yeah, those are some ideas, thoughts. So, so articulate. You mentioned two um, factors there of one being kind of what the church wants everybody, all the women but then also that you're a four and that's your stress line. Mm -hmm. Which one was the bigger player there? Do you think? Cause we've uh, talked with a, a few other people over the past 15 months who growing up, they really, you know, identified as their stress number because they spent so much time in that space. I would say that, that, that latter, what you just said, it is, it was just me functioning as a disintegrated for, and then being celebrated for it. And I would always say to everyone, I, I'm so busy. Like I, <laughs> there's so much to do. There's so much to, everyone needs help. Like everyone, you know, and that was me functioning from an unhealthy place, but being celebrated for it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's where just I think reinforced it. Yeah. And there's a danger in that, you know, because um, I see it in so many, uh, you know, of, of my family members, women who, who are um, told, you know, have been told that we, we are most useful and more, most worthy when we are functioning in Tunis. And I mean, my mom, I, I, I don't know if you know this, eight months after I became a pastor, which I would say becoming a pastor is what dismantled all of it for me. Uh, it was, and I have, I didn't have opportunity to totally go into it in the book, but um, just brought another one. <laughs> yes, I hope so. Um, after eight, eight months after I became a pastor, my mom decided to become a pastor and that just shifted everything because we all started functioning in this, like, oh, we are leaders. Like we are, we are teachers, we are shepherds, we are ministers. And I've known that about my mom my whole life, but there was never an outlet for her. Um, and I think when she saw me stepping into this role, I think it, it dismantled a lot for her, to, her as well to say, oh, there's more for me than, than this uh, narrative that I've been living. I don't know that I've read an author where I was so aware 
of the very clear definition of their wing. Mm. And you are such a four with such a good, big, strong, healthy three wing. You think so? I do. (laughs) And I think it's all good. (laughs) I think it's all good because my next question is without it, without that three wing, Mm. could you have had the imagination Mm. to walk a path that was really not welcoming Mm. until you got on it and got in it? Yeah. Well, I think that's where community comes in because I don't think there was a cost, you know, to leave my former kind of denominational upbringing and views. And I, I would say I didn't realize all that was happening as it was taking place. I was evolving real time. Um, you know, and my church, as they sent me out, they couldn't say, you know, we're, we want to pray for pastor Christine. They said, we want to pray for, um, Christine, who's going to be directing, Uh, life groups or community groups. They couldn't say the word pastor, you know, and at the time I was like, that's strange. And, and I felt hurt. And I I think that's how it has been. I feel like there hasn't been a clear path. And, you know, for as we always do this, where it's like, is this okay? Am I normal? Like, and it was, it it just always no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yes, it's okay. And no, you're not normal. (laughs) Whatever normal is whatever normal is and yes. there is no normal right but for internalize that like is this okay am i doing it okay and i think even up to this journey which now you know i, I was four years in pastoral ministry and it's you know I, I stepped down from my position last year and then the pandemic hit but these you know five and a half years or so of being in this new space of owning my voice my leadership my pastoral call um i would say has been a stumbling into it it ha- it's not so when you say my three wing is strong, I'm like, oh, please tell me what that means. <laughs> Cause it hasn't been like, I've got this, like we're good. It's been like, is this okay? And then taking one step further into um, what I consider what I need to do to be authentic to what I feel is inside of me. And then, you know, taking another step with courage, taking another step, uh, feeling really shamed or feeling really scared of what people are thinking about me um, and losing, you know, more of a sense of belonging to my past, you know, so it hasn't been easy to carve um, this new path ahead. Um, So I, I want to know what you mean when you say my three wing is healthy. Please tell me what that means. Okay. (laughs) Let's start with as a four, you have done enough work to know the difference and the subtleties where people could get lost in thinking and feeling. Mm -hmm. You do a great job writing about feelings and writing about thinking, and they're not all run together. Mm -hmm. And that clarity is helpful in you're embracing the gifts and the graces and the capacity that you have for doing things. Mm-hmm. You, you're not dreaming of being somebody. You're becoming somebody. You could have spent a lifetime 
with self-indulgent, I wish I could have been a pastor. But one step at a time, you chose a different path, which was I'm going to do the next right thing. And I know what that is. And I have a plan. And if I can execute, great. But right now, all I need to do is this next right thing. And in, in wrapping your arm around understanding yourself without feeling sorry for yourself, which is a trap for fours that makes perfect sense because of all the emotional energy that's available to them all the time. There was a doing involved. It's like, I'm going to move out and I'm going to do something. Mm. And then I'm going to do the next thing and I'm going to do the next thing. And you, in my reading of your work and my awareness of your journey, you evaluated things as you moved along. Mm. And that's very three. Mm. And you did it objectively. And that's very three. Very, very three. Mm. And I think there's a big difference in a three with a four wing and a four with a three wing. There's a big difference in a four with a five wing and a four with a three wing. And if your first and dominant wing had been five, my guess is you would have planned for too long. It seems like the story could have easily been, if only then, I, you know, if only I wasn't a female, if only this, then I would have been a great pastor instead of interesting i am a great pastor now and yes wow that was so helpful for me thank you Good. for clarifying that I, I i haven't seen my actions in that way it has all felt so clunky and so uh messy <laughs> um but i think it's part of my fourness i have so many feelings about it all <laughs> you know and just the cost of community the cost of um conversations that have been really difficult, you know, with students that I mentored to female students, especially who I mentored to be, um, biblical women, which now I just, I feel so sad, you know, the ways that I, um, may have oppressed, um, not may have, I, I also, you know, uh, created narratives that didn't provide freedom for the students that I mentored. And so it, a lot of it is, um, you know, in fours, we do this, we, think back to our past and we right. reopen all of the file cabinets of the ways that we've, uh, you know, harmed or had conflict or hurt people. And, um, sometimes I look at those files and I'm like, Oh, I, you know, I, I wish I could go back into time and, uh, and, you know, redo those moments. But, um, part of my moving forward has been to have peace with who I was in the past and be gracious to myself in the past. Um, and I think that's how we can evolve, you know, with, um, healthy, uh, a healthy sense of who we are becoming, like you said, when we can look back at ourselves with grace and, um, move forward in grace. I love that image of looking back fast and pulling out the files. I've, uh, my, I've got like one small manila folder <laughs> with one sheet for each memory. Like, and you like, I've got, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really, that's amazing. 
<laughs> the manila name. folder is great. That's what I want to get You've to. You've got the Dewey Decimal System happening here with your... <laughs> I do. Yeah. I'm absolutely sure that God cannot be anything other than faithful. Hmm. And perhaps you're modeling for those young women that you um, offered the narrative that was offered to you. You know, you are, um, you're very engaging and you're very interesting. And my guess is if some young woman had you as a mentor, she's following you still. Mm. I, I think you need to not feel like that the last word was the final word. Mm. Yeah. Richard Rohr, who's one of my mentors, says, uh, you know, the best protection from the next word of God is the last word of God. Mm. And I think you were trying to be faithful mm. to every word as you understood it. And when you could hear more clearly and hear a different voice that led a different path, you took it. And I, the, every journey that any of us are on that we're hoping to be faithful to and where we have mentors ahead of us, mm -hmm. they couldn't be mentoring for us if they didn't once stand where we stand. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I edited the books in this series on an iPad in a program where I could handwrite on it because I'm your blue marker. Yeah. Your blue <laughs> <laughs> That's it right there. I didn't always use blue. I like it. It was very welcoming. It wasn't red, you know. That's right. And you are welcome, which is on page 76. You said, this is actually at the top of 77. You said fours tend to abandon environments that bring shame or rejection. That is brilliant. And I've never heard a four articulate that. Mm. What I have heard is fours struggle to figure out why they abandon environments without mm. ever identifying the shame and the rejection. Mm. And then you wrote, for people of color who identify as fours, we internalize a multi-layer narrative that we were born missing something inside that makes us fundamentally flawed. And yet we learn to find safe places that allow us to be our true selves. Yeah. That is transformation. Hmm. So I have this on a little note card. I'm going to carry it with me because my, one of the part of the title of my new book is um, transformation. And so when people ask me what transformation is, I'm going to use that with your permission as part of my explanation of what transformation is because self-indulgence would have been, uh, the, the period would be after flawed. So it would be for people of color who identify as fours, we internalize a multi-layered narrative that we were born missing something inside that makes us fundamentally flawed. Hmm. Period. Hmm. But not you, you say, and yet, we learn to find safe places that allow us to be our true selves. Yeah. How can you help fours 
who are going to hear this or read that and say, where are the safe places? For me as a four, most places don't feel safe. Mm -hmm. So how do I look for that? It's a great question. Um, I, I feel like my, my first instinct was to say it's a lifelong journey of finding safe places for fours. Um, but for me, most of my safe places have come from others who are fours because they just get it. And, um, there's space, there's like a wealth of space and capacity that fours have to hold each other's pain and confusion and complexities without judgment and, um, that create nuance for, opinions to change from one thing to the other. A lot of foreness in my mind is processing things out loud and then figuring out what you're feeling until you land on it. And then you say, Oh, that is, that's what I'm feeling. That's what I'm going through. And, um, I think because I grew up in a home that didn't create space for a lot of my emotional complexity and maybe even contributed to it. Um, it has, it was a lifelong journey of seeking out friendships and individuals who felt safe from one environment to the next. And I just, I want to tell other fours, like, please have hope, you know, it's okay. You're you're amazing. You you're the best (laughs) and you will find safe places because you are a safe place. And I would say, trust your intuition, trust your discernment. Uh, Fours are among the most discerning that I know if you're in a healthy place, if you're not, you're (laughs) all over like, please, take me, let me belong to you. But if you're in a healthy place and you belong to yourself and you show up in a way, um, that you can see through and intuitively know if someone is, um, a place of safety for you. And I would say for, you know, persons of color, people of color listening in on the podcast who are fours, um, I would say, you know, find safe space, safe spaces within your own community. Um, Uh, communities of color. And that's, what's been healing for me, um, especially in this time where anti-Asian hate crimes are so high, um, at this moment, you know, with, with, um, a lot of the rhetoric, uh, that had been, uh, coming, um, I have needed to find safe, safe places and spaces, um, with my own community, um, where I don't have to explain, I can just be and exhale and, um, not have to, you know, explain why my humanity matters, you know? Um, and so I think the layers of that in my foreignness and in my Asian Americanness and my Koreanness, um, contextually, um, living in this time, um, finding safe places, um, is a lifelong journey, but worth it. And, um, you will find it as hopefully more of our stories come to the forefront, um, like we're doing today in this podcast. I was listening to the conversation today that you had with Brian McLaren, who's a four. And he, y'all talked about that, about how he and you, Suzanne talked about how fours go through life and they don't bring a lot of people with them because they don't understand Mm -hmm. and that, but y'all didn't talk to find other fours who, who can do that. And the other thing that I hear y'all talking about a lot also when you talk about self-indulgence versus self-awareness and, you know, the transformation, where does the period stop? And it seems that you, Christine, never get lost in the emotions, like in just having the emotions, the balance of, you talked, Suzanne, about 
the feeling and the thinking doesn't all get muddled and cloudy. It seems that you do just a really phenomenal job of uh, moving forward. And it seems that there are other forwards that when they talk about their low side or times that they haven't been at their healthiest, it's been just getting, you know, grabbing whatever emotions come by, telling every person, opening up to everyone about everything and doing <laughs> and not doing what you're saying. I think that, that seems to be the biggest difference between self-indulgent. It is just, oh, stick, losing focus on the goal. It's the emotions coming instead of the focusing on why am I feeling this or what has caused this? Like you talked about, Christine, it's, oh, this is a great, you know, just wrapping yourself up in the feeling and then just staying in that feeling until the next feeling comes along and then staying with that feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I said this already in the beginning, but I want to uh, center it as much as I can truly um, experiencing more um, the mystical side of spirituality and spiritual formation, um, contemplation, um, spiritual practices, um, soul care disciplines, whatever you want to call it. But for me, that truly has been what has grounded and anchored me because um, without that sense of hearing your own voice and what Howard Thurman calls the sound of the genuine in you, or, you know, what now one calls like the inner voice of love or, you know, you get Barbara Brown tail, you know, you know, um, learning to walk in the, in the dark and, and finding spaces to hear your own, uh, voice and your own sense of clarity. I think, um, I really would be more, um, swayed from side to side. And that's how I was mostly in my formative years. I, I always tell my story as though, like, I, I didn't have a compass when I was younger, I would just kind of like went with the wind. Like when someone wants to do this, I'll go with you. Do you like this? I think I do. Okay. You know, and I would just kind of go in different places, but I didn't know myself. And I think growing in that knowledge of self-awareness and not, not allowing myself in those moments of low periods of melancholy and depression to take over to a point where I lose myself completely. Um, that has all come through um, spiritual direction, uh, therapy, a combination of spiritual direction, therapy, and my own um, cultivating of those uh, practices that have been really central for me to be um, a whole person is what I want to describe it, like a whole person, which I, I'm not saying I've, I've arrived, but I'm trying to be at that space where I am whole and able to function and um live out, um, the fullness of myself as a woman, as an Asian American, as a mother, as a partner to my spouse, um, as a pastoral person, you know, all, all these different things. Um, because without that, I, I w- genuinely would feel like, um, going with the wind. I know there's a passage in the Bible, about that. <laughs> I can't, I don't remember where it comes from. That's all right. We're not Baptists. We wouldn't have known it either. Yeah. yeah. I don't know either. Yeah. Boy, they know the Bible. You know, every denomination has something for us. I've decided. Yes, Joel, yeah. I know you've got something on your mind. Well, I just want to ask, what are a couple of your go-to spiritual practices? Um, stillness for me. Uh, I, you know, a while back I read this book called joy unspeakable by Barbara Holmes in, um, if you're listening to this podcast, please read that book. Um, and she talks about, um, she's, she's just brilliant. Um, African-American, a theologian and pastor and minister. And she talks about, um, how often for people of color, silence has been uh, something that has been negative because 
you know, in the face of oppression or in the face of injustice, uh, white dominant um, society has silenced people of color. So she started to utilize different language when she talks about um, whether it was like facilitating retreats or um, bringing people into a place of stillness before the divine. And um, so I started to kind of get more creative and you, you know, even from my spiritual formation training to not necessarily use the word silence um, because it can be triggering uh, for people of color. And so anyway, well, that's a backdrop to why I'm using the word right now, stillness. Um, I think cultivating stillness, cultivating spaces where I can hear the sound of my own voice, um, having a spiritual director that I'm meeting with monthly um, has been incredibly transformative. Um, practicing um, the presence, you know, of the divine throughout my day, um, knowing that I'm not alone, knowing that I, my belonging is not coming from an outward source, but um, from my own inner being, uh, being connected with the divine. Um, and I think, like I said earlier, finding uh, safe spaces within uh, my own BIPOC community um, has been really uh, significant um, because uh, the more and more I'm connected to my own roots as a person of color and as a Korean woman, my ancestral roots, I feel more grounded in who I am rather than who I need to be in light of what uh, dominant society is telling me to become. Mm -hmm. So I think those are some, um, some practices, some spaces I've cultivated over time. Thank you very much. I have a challenge for you. Yeah. Can you, can I give it to you? Sure. Um, okay. depending on what it is, <laughs> I, didn't say you can talk. Up. <laughs> I can, I can talk about it and then we'll see. I think there is a special way of seeing the world in a young female four with a significant three wing, because you won't share insignificant thoughts or feelings in a situation that matters. But you can, with that three wing, three wing, read the room. And it makes you responsive to how and whether or not you're being heard. I am so mindful of how you're coming to the things that you're saying. I'm challenging you to keep writing. And I know you got kids and we're just coming out of pandemic and you got you know, all the things that people have and writing is really hard. It's really, really hard. And there's not a huge difference between how I hear you when we're talking like this mm -hmm. and how I hear you when I'm reading your written work. Mm. And I'm just going to challenge you to palms up in these contemplative times, mm -hmm. ask if that's yours to do. Mm. And I hope it is. I have a little bit of concern coming out of the pandemic and quarantine and all of that, that folks are going to get moving too fast. We got so much, we got a lot to do. And we got to get it done and we got to be moving. And so there's another gift that you have in the way that you, Christine, are put together. And that is that you're doing repressed. It's very helpful, except when you don't want to do the thing that I'm trying to talk you into doing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I, I thought a lot about whether or not to say that. And I thought a lot about whether or not to say it on the podcast. 
because I don't know if it's fair, Hmm. but it, it feels right. And now that I've done it, it feels even better than right. (laughs) Thank you. And I believe for some reason that I can't explain to either you or Joel that we're going to find that people are more willing to listen to your generation than they were 18 months ago. Hmm. I hope that's true. And I, I believe it is. I believe it's going to be. And so I'm just encouraging young adults who I have lots of respect for to speak. Thank you, Suzanne. Um, for those not on our Zoom call, I just did a heart on, <laughs> on the reactions on our Zoom. Well, and I just received it in my heart. Okay, I want to ask you one final question. But thank you. You're welcome. Move on, but thank you. You're welcome. What do you wish people knew about fours? Number one. Mm-hmm. What do you wish your community knew about fours? Number two. Oh, those are the two. I'm so sorry. I thought the third was coming. <laughs> That's because usually there's five or six. I understand how you would have thought that. <laughs> Only two. Only two. No, that's great. Um, what do I want fours to, what do I want people to know about fours? Was that the first one? Um, I want people to know that fours are the greatest gift to the world. <laughs> Joel may edit that out. I don't know. <laughs> no, it sounds like a full response. Right? <laughs> it, is, it truly is. <laughs> um, I, I want people to know that they don't have to be afraid of foreness. Um, that we are, we are strong and we are, when we're sharing ourselves with you, it's a gift. It's not a burden. And um, I know that um, it may feel like it's a lot coming in at one time, but I think if you, um, if you have a loved one who, who is a four or if your child, I know you're not supposed to type children, but, um, but we all do your adult child. We all do. <laughs> if, you, parenting if you're not trying to type your kid, I mean, right. can you be a good yeah, parent I'm if you haven't you. tried? Right. Right. I, I go through that a lot. And I would say, if you have a loved one who is a four and you're trying to make sense of their reality, I would say just hold space. Um, and if that's difficult for you, I would say to work on holding space so that, um, your loved one does, does feel safe in your presence, um, without needing to feel like they have to be fixed or changed or, um, be less than who they are in order to be accepted by you. Um, but yeah, I, fours, once you understand the fullness of their fourness, um, they will be a gift, um, to your life because they will, be there for you through any liminal or in-between um, space, and they will not be afraid to enter into the dark places with you, um, but will be a healing presence for you. Um, for my community, um, the second question, what do I want them to know about foreigners? We are the greatest gift. No, I'm just kidding. I won't say that again. <laughs> um, I, I guess I, I would say similar things. Um, more than anything, I would say, um, to anyone listening in, um, I think fours have an ability to see the humanity of everyone and um, if they're in a healthy place and if they're not just inward looking and indulging in themselves, but if they're in a healthy place, they truly see that every single person is so special and um, they revel in 
everyone's specialness. And um, I would say that that is uh, a true gift of the four because they'll remind you why it's important for you to shine um, in the way that you've been made to shine and not diminish your humanity, but dignify you and encourage you and lift you up. Um, and so um, I, I guess that's all I would say. Well, what I would say is thank you for your contribution to the series. Mm -hmm. I, of course, want everybody to read all nine numbers because there's a lot to learn there. Mm -hmm. I continue to believe that fours are the second most misunderstood number on the Enneagram. What's the first? Eights. Eights are. And I know that's a big disappointment for fours. <laughs> I know. She's like, what? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? More misunderstood than we are. Have you not been listening to me? <laughs> true, true. <laughs> and I think many fours can be encouraged by your 40 days on being a four to continue to try to say, this is who I am mm -hmm. and to continue to try to be seen and understood. I think fours get so tired of that, that they sometimes just think, yeah, I'll just not bother. Yeah. And you manage somehow to bother on every page. Mm -hmm. So thank you. And thank you for this time on our podcast. And thank you for being young and smart and a woman and hopeful mm. and growing. May I follow in your footstep with everything except being young and <laughs> uh, keep growing and try to be graceful as I do. Mm. Thank you so much, Suzanne. Thank you for all your leadership and contributions to all of Enneagram literature and these, this series. It would not have been possible without you and, and Cindy too. And Joel, I'm sure with your support. I'm on this. Yeah. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for um, the collaboration and growing friendship and um, appreciate you so much. Right back at you.